Welcome to the June 2009 Respiratory Care Podcast. I am Dean Hess, editor of the journal. This month, we are pleased to publish the second group of papers from the journal conference, Respiratory Care and Cystic Fibrosis. As usual, Sarah Forge will read the abstracts, and I will return with a few comments on each paper. We begin this issue with a paper, Mucus, Phlegm, and Sputum in Cystic Fibrosis, which is by Rubin from Wake Forest University School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Although some clinicians still believe that cystic fibrosis lung disease is largely due to hypersecretion of very viscous mucus, it has never been demonstrated that there is mucus hypersecretion in cystic fibrosis, and it is clear that there is almost no intact mucin in the sputum with cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis sputum has lower viscosity when compared to asthma or bronchitis sputa, but it is tenacious and biochemically most resembles pus. Tenacity and lower viscosity lead to decreased cough clearance of infected phlegm, which is thought to induce a persistent inflammatory state in the airway, leading to bronchiectasis. There are many medications and devices either in use or under development that are meant to improve airway hygiene in cystic fibrosis by assisting with sputum expectoration. This manuscript discusses the scientific basis and potential mechanism of action for many of these interventions and briefly reviews the clinical evidence of their safety and effectiveness. Next, we have the paper, Airway Clearance Therapy Guidelines and Implementation, by Lester and Flume, from the Medical University of South Carolina. The clearance of secretions from the lungs of patients with cystic fibrosis is an important component of the fight to preserve their lung function. There is excessive inflammation in the airways of these patients, which is thought to be exaggerated by ineffective mucociliary clearance and bacterial infection. In 2005, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation formed the Pulmonary Therapies Committee to review all of the medical literature on the various airway clearance therapies used in treating cystic fibrosis lung disease. The recommendations were, an airway clearance therapy should be performed by all patients with cystic fibrosis. No form of airway clearance therapy stood out as being superior to another, and that patients may express a preference of one therapy over another. They also concluded that aerobic exercise is beneficial to patients with cystic fibrosis, as it is to everyone, and that exercise should be a component of the overall health routine of patients with cystic fibrosis. The challenge for respiratory and physical therapists together with the patient and family is to develop a plan of attack through the use of various airway clearance therapies. The respiratory and physical therapists are integral in helping patients and families develop airway clearance routines that aid in the removal of secretions that cause airway obstruction. There is a wide range of airway clearance therapies that therapists can choose from when they are teaching the patients and family members the strategies of secretion removal. The questions are, what therapy is best for what age or stage of lung disease? 
what therapies will the patient do, and which therapies will be covered by medical insurance. These are all fundamental questions that must be answered when guiding families in finding therapies that are effective and appropriate for each cystic fibrosis patient's unique situation. New Aerosol Delivery Devices for Cystic Fibrosis is by Kesser and Geller from the Nemours Children's Clinic in Orlando, Florida. Cystic fibrosis patients use several therapies to treat the chronic inflammation and infection in the lungs and to improve airway clearance. Inhaled therapies in cystic fibrosis typically include bronchodilators, airway wetting agents, mucus active agents, and antibiotics, among others. There are many variables to take into account when prescribing aerosolized therapies to cystic fibrosis patients, including aerosol factors, patient variables such as age, disease severity, and breathing patterns, and the limitations of current aerosol delivery systems. The greatest challenge for patients is dealing with the time burden placed on them to try to fit all their treatments into their day, a burden that is likely to be even greater in the near future due to the exciting pipeline of novel therapies that target the genetic defect of cystic fibrosis as well as the pathophysiologic consequences. Fortunately, novel aerosol delivery systems and drug formulations are being developed to tackle the many challenges of aerosol delivery in cystic fibrosis. If successful, these systems will reduce the time burden and improve the clinical outcomes for the cystic fibrosis community. Next, we have the paper. Respiratory Care of the Hospitalized Patient with Cystic Fibrosis by Newton from Miller Children's Hospital in Long Beach, California. Hospitalization can occur at any age for patients with cystic fibrosis. The leading cause for admission is an acute worsening of signs and symptoms that can be called a pulmonary exacerbation. The treatments upon admission are usually intravenous antibiotics and aggressive airway clearance with good nutritional support. Respiratory therapists play a key role in the care of cystic fibrosis patients in the outpatient clinics and taking care of the patients while hospitalized. Following the cystic fibrosis pulmonary guidelines, they administer aerosol delivery and airway clearance while also providing education to patients and families. To do that, the respiratory therapist should have the skills to perform and teach all manners of airway clearance and understand the medications and delivery devices that make up a cystic fibrosis treatment. As cystic fibrosis lung disease progresses, so too does the chance that these patients may develop complications such as pneumothorax and hemoptysis, which may require different strategies, especially when performing airway clearance. The respiratory therapist needs to have the skills that can take the patient from simple oxygen therapy as lung function deteriorates to the point where chronic oxygen and non-invasive ventilation is needed and for the end-stage patient awaiting a lung transplant. An important aspect of the hospitalization is the interaction between the respiratory therapist and the patient. To give good therapy is to be a great coach. 
From infection control to following proper nebulization protocol, the consistency with airway clearance to education, the cystic fibrosis respiratory therapist is there for the life of the patient. The paper, Lung Transplantation in Cystic Fibrosis, is by Rosenblatt from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Lung transplantation has become a viable option for those cystic fibrosis patients with end-stage lung disease. Despite the challenges that the cystic fibrosis patients present, the survival seen after lung transplantation is more favorable than seen in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and pulmonary fibrosis. Although the cystic fibrosis patients with severe respiratory disease are usually infected with organisms that display in vitro resistance to the commonly used antibiotics, these patients usually have successful outcomes with transplantation. The other challenges include the presence of non-tuberculous mycobacteria, the significant incidence of liver involvement, the development of an ileus, or the development of distal intestinal obstruction syndrome, and the presence of gastroesophageal reflux. Most of the patients have metabolic bone disease, even preoperatively, that warrants treatment, especially with the significant loss of bone density seen in the first year after transplant, thought to be related, in part, to the high dose of corticosteroids. Diabetes mellitus and its consequences are not uncommon. The malabsorption of fat seen in pancreatic insufficient patients complicates the absorption kinetics of the anti-rejection drugs. In May 2005, the United Network of Organ Sharing instituted a lung allocation score to better distribute the donated lungs to those patients who would achieve the most benefit. This score uses several variables to balance the likelihood of the patients living one year with a transplant versus one year without a transplant. With this change in the allocation of organs, the median waiting times have significantly decreased, the mortality on the waiting list has decreased, and the number of cystic fibrosis patients transplanted has not changed. With the substantial experience, more programs are now transplanting patients who require constant mechanical ventilation or patients who have undergone previous pleural procedures, especially in the treatment of a pneumothorax. The limiting factor now in lung transplantation is the number of organs available. Efforts to increase the donor pool, such as alveolar recruitment strategies to improve gas exchange, have been effective in allowing more patients to be transplanted. Lung transplantation is now an accepted form of therapy in those patients who are developing progressive respiratory failure. Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Achieving the Mission is by Marshall and colleagues from the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation in Bethesda, Maryland. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is a voluntary nonprofit health organization whose mission is to assure the development of the means to cure and control cystic fibrosis and to improve the quality of life for those with the disease. While substantial progress has been made as evidenced by a marked increase in the median predicted age of survival, much work remains to be done. 
ongoing medical programs and activities of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which span basic science, drug discovery, drug development, clinical care, patient education, and advocacy will be described in this article. The key role of respiratory therapists in the cystic fibrosis community is highlighted in this paper. Finally, we have the conference summary written by the co-chairs Geller and Rubin. The 43rd Respiratory Care Journal Conference brought together experts from the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom to review the art and science of cystic fibrosis. This is the first time that cystic fibrosis was the topic for a journal conference, and it came about six decades after the disease was named, and 20 years after the gene was discovered on chromosome 7. Though cystic fibrosis is a multi-system disease, it is the chronic and progressive lung disease that causes most of the morbidity and mortality. The participants at the conference reviewed the epidemiology, pathophysiology, treatment, and novel therapies in the pipeline for cystic fibrosis lung disease. They also emphasized the crucial roles that the respiratory therapist plays in cystic fibrosis, including diagnostic testing, aerosol deliveries, airway clearance, infection control, patient and peer education, and patient advocacy. The May and June 2009 issues of the journal reflect how diligently the participants worked to provide up-to-date reviews and lively discussions of these topics. Mucus and retained secretions are the first things to come into the minds of most respiratory therapists when cystic fibrosis is mentioned. It is interesting to learn from the paper by Rubin that cystic fibrosis lung disease is not largely due to hypersecretion of very viscous mucus and that there is almost no intact mucin in the sputum with cystic fibrosis. In fact, sputum associated with cystic fibrosis has lower viscosity when compared to the sputum with asthma or bronchitis, but is highly tenacious and closely resembles pus. It is these characteristics that lead to decreased cough clearance of infected phlegm. Medications aimed at reducing mucin secretion or severing mucin polymers are likely to be of no value and might even be dangerous. Medications meant to decrease the tenacity of sputum containing DNA and F-actin polymers are more likely to be of benefit. Because phlegm tenaciously sticks to the airway epithelium, medications that on-stick secretions from the epithelium, such as surfactant or drugs that promote water secretion into the airway, should also benefit patients. There is a wide range of airway clearance therapies that can be used for secretion removal in patients with cystic fibrosis. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation developed clinical practice guidelines related to airway clearance therapy, which we published in the April 2009 issue of Respiratory Care. These guidelines recommend that airway clearance therapy should be performed by all patients with cystic fibrosis. However, no form of airway clearance therapy is superior to another, and patients may express a preference for one therapy over another. It is also important to determine which therapy is best for patients of different ages and at different stages in the disease. 
Respiratory therapists and physical therapists help patients and families develop individualized airway clearance routines that aid in the removal of secretions. Aerobic exercise is beneficial to patients with cystic fibrosis and should be a component of their overall health routine. One of the most useful parts of the paper by Lester and Flume is the appendix, which details the proper technique for the various airway clearance therapies that can be used for patients with cystic fibrosis. A number of medications are administered by inhaled aerosols to patients with cystic fibrosis. These include bronchodilators, airway wetting agents, mucus active agents, antibiotics, and others. Until recently, the aerosol devices used for treatment of cystic fibrosis were limited to meter dose inhalers, dry powder inhalers, pneumatic jet nebulizers, and ultrasonic nebulizers. A major challenge for patients is dealing with the time burden required to fit all of their treatments into the day. Moreover, novel inhaled drugs that target the genetic defect of cystic fibrosis as well as the pathophysiologic consequences may require a device that is more efficient than those used in the past and at the present. New aerosol delivery systems are being developed to address these and other issues. As described by Kesser and Geller, these include slow mist devices, vibrating mesh devices, and smart devices such as adaptive aerosol delivery and breath control devices. Increasingly, new formulations are released to the market that require the use of a specific nebulizer device. Novel dry powder formulations are also being developed and may be available in the near future. The leading cause for hospital admission in a patient with cystic fibrosis is an acute worsening of signs and symptoms. The reasons for admission are usually the need for intravenous antibiotics and aggressive airway clearance with good nutritional support. Caring for the hospitalized patient with cystic fibrosis requires the skills to perform and teach airway clearance therapies and understand the medications and delivery devices used for cystic fibrosis treatment. In addition, skills such as the application of non-invasive ventilation and the care of the end-stage patient awaiting lung transplantation are needed. As described by Newton, an important aspect of good therapy is to be a great coach. This involves coaching patients in infection control, proper use of the nebulizer, and proper use of airway clearance therapy. Lung transplantation has become a viable option for cystic fibrosis patients with end-stage lung disease. In fact, survival after lung transplantation is more favorable in patients with cystic fibrosis than for patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or patients with pulmonary fibrosis. As discussed by Rosenblatt, in May 2005, the United Network of Organ Sharing instituted a lung allocation score to better distribute donated lungs to those patients who would achieve the most benefit. This has resulted in a decrease in the median waiting times until transplantation, and the mortality on the waiting list has decreased. However, the number of cystic fibrosis patients transplanted has not changed. The limiting factor in lung transplantation is the number of organs available. An area that has recently received increasing attention relates to mechanical ventilation strategies to improve gas exchange in the donor, thus allowing more patients to be transplanted. Clearly, more work is needed to determine the best way to ventilate the donor 
both to increase the likelihood of the lungs being acceptable for transplantation, but at the same time to minimize the risk of ventilator-induced lung injury. Substantial progress has been made in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There is no better evidence for this than the marked increase in the median predicted age of survival for persons with this disease. The mission of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is, quote, to assure the development of the means to cure and control cystic fibrosis and to improve the quality of life for those with the disease, end of quote. Consistent with this mission, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation supports programs in basic science, drug delivery, drug development, clinical care, patient education, and advocacy. As described by Marshall, one of the programs instituted by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is a mentoring program to teach respiratory therapists new to cystic fibrosis about the nuances of care for these patients. Kudos to the experienced respiratory therapists who have stepped forward to serve as mentors in this program. The 43rd Respiratory Care Journal Conference brought together experts from the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom to review the art and science of cystic fibrosis. This is the first time that cystic fibrosis was the topic for a journal conference, and it came about six decades after the disease was named and 20 years after the gene was discovered. The May and June 2009 issues of Respiratory Care reflect how diligently the faculty work to provide up-to-date reviews and lively discussions of these topics. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.